Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. One day, beautiful day, our daughter Jessie, when she was young, and, uh, and here's a quick pic just so you can catch a glimpse. This is Jessie and our son Chad back in the day. Well, when Jessie was about this age, she was walking with Grandpa and Nana D across that yard over there. And they were a beautiful summer day. She spots a cat, a black and white cat. And from the time she was this age, she has a, had a, a soft spot in her heart for animals. They brought no fear to her, only love and affection. And so when she saw that cat, she thought it needs a hug. So she took off bouncing across the yard for that cat until a just horrifying reality settled upon grandpa. That is not a cat. That is a skunk. And this dear, sweet granddaughter is just charging this skunk to give it a, a hug. So grandpa shouts with urgency, Jesse, stop. To which I would have thought, why? This cat needs a hug. I'm going to hug the cat and then I'll be back to talk to you, grandpa. Thankfully, that was not her response. She hit the brakes and uh, waited until grandpa could clarify the situation and, and speak into reality. There are times when we open... God's word and what we hear is our name and stop from the heart of a father who loves us. It's a warning to us. And in this series, we're opening to a text, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we hear God say, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. In this text, we read in verse 11, he says, these things happened to them. Speaking of the people in the Old Testament, they were written down as, or to them as examples, they were written down as warnings to us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure, you can endure it. Today's passage is, or the tech, the, uh, today is part two of our series, How the Mighty Fall. And what we're going to discover today, we're going to watch a leader take a, a hit, temptation hit. And it's a hard text to, to, to um, all week I was thinking, man, I wish I could just fast forward this and, and not even have to, to preach on this. But I think it's so important. And I think God wants us to, to fill what, what happens in these moments as warnings to us and to move us and to change us, to, to make a life change so that we don't make the same mistake that, that we see this leader make. As we come to the text, we'll be in Second Samuel chapter 11, but one of the first impressions that comes to my mind is just that whole longing in our heart for a good leader. Do you feel that? Where I know election time's coming, we always feel that, but wouldn't it be great to have a leader? And we long for a leader that is both competent in leadership, but also kind to people. A leader that is, is both wise, but also um, sacrificial and willing to suffer or sacrifice for the good of, of the people around him. 
a leader who is trustworthy, who, who like you would trust this person with, with who you love the most, your family or, or whatever. We long for a leader like that. And that's the kind of leader that God gave to Israel and David. King David said, I've chosen a man who has a, a heart after me, a heart like God's heart for people. And we know Psalm 78 says, David shepherded his people, God's people with integrity of heart, skill of hand. He was competent, but he also had that character. We see it even as a teenager where he risks his life. He goes hand to hand with a lion and with a bear to protect sheep. And um, he kills, kills them both. He, uh, we see it when the nation is, is shaking in fear, the whole army of these grown men are shaking under the shadow of Goliath. And what's David do? Man, he's full of faith, charging this giant and sets the nation free. And then when he's anointed king, he doesn't assert himself out of pride. He waits humbly for God to lift him up to power. And we just see in David a good, good king. And when leadership is good, often the the culture flourishes. And that's what's happening in Israel as we come to this text. You read, as you're reading it along in 2 Samuel, it's all up and to the right. The enemies of Israel have been pushed back. God's delivered them, and it's a time of peace. The, uh, the, the economy is just humming and thriving, and, and uh, society is just coming alive. It's a happy day, happy time to be alive in Israel. It's like springtime in Israel, and, and it's just all good until we open to... 2 Samuel chapter 11, which I think you could argue is one of the saddest spots in the entire Bible, and we see an arrow rifling through the night sky, and it embeds itself into the heart of this good king. It's the arrow of, arrow of temptation. We'll pick up the story there in verse 1. It says, in the spring, at, that time, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite community or army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And it's interesting here. It seems to be hinting that something's off. When the, the springtime, when kings go off to war, where's David? He's back in Jerusalem. He's staying there. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba. The daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. The first scene that we, hear, we, we have here is the fall. This sad, sad moment... Um, we see three questions that emerge. First, as David is on the rooftop, we, we see the, the way lust works. Lust begins with a look, but then it lingers. It lingers. And it raises the question to me and to, to you, and I invite you to ask, um, what are you looking at? What are you looking at and lingering around? It was forbidden, the, this lady. David had king. He could have had so much, but he was looking at that and lingering around what was forbidden. Question two, am I ignoring a warning? When he sent the servant to say, who is she? The servant comes back. We don't pick it up 
initially as we read it, but, but what this servant is saying to power is that, in, in essence, stop. She's someone's daughter, Eliam. What, what would you do if he was standing here today and stop? She's someone's wife, Uriah the Hittite. One of the guys, one of the, and we know Uriah is a, one of the mighty men listed in Second uh, Samuel chapter 23, a standout soldier who's out on the battlefield. Now, what if he were standing here? What would you do? What, how would you proceed? It's a warning. And what are the warnings God has given me? And then question three, am I in a season of success? Am I currently free from major trial and hardship? And if so, watch out. Think about where David is in his life. He's, he's gone through decades of challenge and hardship and tough living. But he's come to this point when it's finally like, ah, <laughs> the pressure's off, you know? He doesn't even have to go out to war. He can send people to do that for him. And he's, you could call it a mountaintop moment, a success moment. And he lets down. There is a unique vulnerability that comes with success, isn't there? You think about when we're in the challenge and the struggle and the trial, it's humbling and we're often pushed to stay close to God and dependent on Him. But when we get to the success moments, we can kind of let up, like, I, I'm okay here. And here comes the arrow of temptation. And so um, it asks us, or a good question to ask, what season am I in? And if, if you are in a season of success, to watch out. Well, the... Uh, this fall leads to the cover-up. The scene that we could, you could put over, the title you could put over this one would be the cover-up. In verse 6, what's David going to do now? Bathsheba's pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And so Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked Joab, hey, how are the soldiers and how's the war going? And you just ache with the duplicity there, don't you, and the deceit. He could care less. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the kings was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all the master servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, why haven't, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah's response had to be, just an arrow of conviction in David's heart, as he says, the ark of Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, king, I will not do such a thing. So you hear Uriah say that, you just his conviction and his loyalty and his faithfulness contrast what David has done to him verse 12 then David said to him stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and and the next at David's invitation he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk thinking all right I can lower strong drink drunkenness leads to debauchery and and, uh, making decisions that go against our convictions and man I'll, I'll Surely he will go to to his home here. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master servants, and he did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it with Uriah, and in it he wrote, 
Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest and then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. He writes the execution letter, hands it to the one who will be executed. And I just wonder if he watches Uriah ride back out to battle and he wonders, well, will he read it? Will he read it? And what's his answer? No. He's too loyal. And sure enough, he, uh, he gives it to Joab, says, so while Joab, so while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite. Down to verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned him. And after a time of mourning was over, usually about seven days in this culture, David had her brought to, the, to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. To which David had to be thinking, this is over, this is covered up. But this next sentence is one that I think it is a great comfort. If you find yourself the victim of abuse or the victim of injustice, that, uh, that God sees. It says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The wheels of divine justice turn. They turn slowly, but they will turn. And what is wrong will be made right. And so God in his grace gives a... We'll confront David, but before we get there, the cover-up, as we reflect on these moments... There's a couple uh, observations that just jump, three observations. The first one is sin always enslaves, it leads to bondage. So we see David in this moment, I'm, sin off, we often think, hey, I'll just do this little thing now and I'm in control of it. It, it, it won't hurt me. But what we don't see is when we open our hearts and lives to a sin, it opens us up to a power that we can't control. And it's always leading toward bondage. It will take us where we don't want to go. And when David uh, was asking about Bathsheba, do you think he had any intention of murdering a good soldier? I said, Absolutely not. I mean, that would never have been a thought in his mind. And yet that's where the sin took him. Second observation, sin is always social. It hurts the people closest to us. The lie is this is just about me and this is my life and I can do what I want to do. It won't affect those around me. But we watch this sin will obliterate David's family as you watch the story go on. When you read chapters 12 and following, it's a trail of tears for him. But not just David's family, he obliterates Uriah's family. He takes her, he kills Uriah's, or Bathsheba's husband. Think about Uriah's dad and mom, and I mean, the ripple effect of that. He makes uh, basically Joab an accomplice in this murder as well as killing this isn't just one murder he murders numerous soldiers and you think about the tears that will flow through their families and ultimately this one sin will affect every family in this nation sin is social and it always hurts the people closest to us and then the third observation sin always goes public it will shame you the lie is that we can keep it covered that we can cover this up no one will know we're doing this in secret but the reality is unconfessed sin is like cancer 
it, it eats us from the inside out, and there will be a day it will show. And we know the enemy of our soul. He says, hey, no one will know. But then one day he drags us out to where everyone will know, and he mocks us, makes a fool of us, shames us. The third scene here we see, though, is, is God's grace in his confrontation of, of David. And this is hard, but, but and in our own lives, when God convicts us and confronts us with our sin, it's his gift of grace. And so he sends uh, Nathan, the prophet, to David. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, one poor. So a king would settle disputes. And so he's bringing, he's saying, Okay, Help me out, David. I'm, I've got this dispute. I need your help to settle. Rich man, poor man. Rich man, poor man. And you'll notice the rich and the poor, he, he repeats it. The rich representing David, yet a lot. The poor Uriah. And he says, the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. So remember, David was a shepherd in his previous career. And so he's got him here. He, he understands. And he raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank his cup from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. So this little lamb mattered to this poor man. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man. He stepped over a line, a boundary that was very clear. This lamb belonged to him. Why did he take this? Because he could. He had power. And he prepared it for the one who had come to him. Well, David burned with anger against the man who said, and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man, the man who did this must die. Interesting, the, the harshness of his judgment. And often we are most critical and judgmental of our own sin when we see it in other people, aren't we? The, uh, he, he blows up and he says, he must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity or love. And basically when you look at David's sin and every sin, it's a violation of the law of love. And then here comes the moment and Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And here's the lion to circle in your Bible. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife to be her own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your, your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And we know that would happen as if some Absalom would sleep with David's wives in front of all Israel. And he will... Sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And so here we have the, the confrontation. 
How does David respond to this? And this leads to the confession. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Here we see God's grace. What David deserved was death for murder and for adultery. That was the death penalty. But because... But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt from the Lord, the son born to you will die. You know, as David reflects on his life, I can't imagine how many times he must have thought, if I could only have that night back, you know, I could just roll back the clock and replay that moment of temptation. Just long for that. And it causes us to ask, in light of 1 Corinthians 10, that says, hey, these were written down as examples for us. David, what would you do different? What, what would you tell us today? If, if For our own moments, when we will face that arrow of temptation and, and sexual temptation, how should we handle that moment? And out of this text, in the Word of God, I believe there are two action steps that, that he would say, or this would be the warning. When you are facing or when tempted to pursue sexual temptation, flee it and focus on the goodness of God. Flee it and focus on the goodness of God. That would be the big warning. The first move there is to flee it. David looks at a beautiful woman, and he lingers. He he keeps looking at her and thinking about her and, and her becoming his. The contrast to David and Bathsheba, as we look throughout Scripture, is Joseph with Potiphar's wife. And do you remember that moment when Potiphar's wife basically says, hey, she's throwing herself at at Joseph, and Joseph is thinking, how could I do such a thing against God? And he flees to the point where he leaves his his coat in her arms. He's like, out the door. Thinking fleeing is just, when you get, for me it's... uh, (laughs) I'm scared of, or snakes just caused me to run, or, or a hornet, or a, um, some of you ran the mini marathon yesterday, and congrats to you guys. I, I saw uh, Matt Stewart actually ran the 5K, but ran a 15.54 5K, which is fleeing for like 15 minutes, and uh, just that picture of, I'm going to run. Here's my, my response. When I am tempted with sexual temptation, not to linger, but to run, to flee. This is seen all over Scripture. One of the most clear places is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, that says, Believe from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You say, why flee? And we look to David's life and the answer is clear. It's the trail of tears. Here in this age of grace, we know God will forgive us. And I think it leads us to a unique danger in this dispensation is that we think there are no consequences to sin. God will forgive me, right? I can have this momentary pleasure and yeah, shouldn't be doing it, but God will forgive me. When that is the lie of the enemy, yes, God will forgive us, but every sin demands a payment. There is a, a wage that comes with it, a judgment that will come with that sin. That, that's, it's what sin is. God warns us of that. We see it in David's life. He says, the sword will not depart from your family. Um, you killed with the sword, it's going to destroy your own family. We see it in 
the uh, he has to grieve the death of his son, and, and what like every time he that day comes around in the calendar for any of you who have lost a child, you know what that day means, and a constant reminder and a hurt, and then uh, that God will take his sin and make it public before all of Israel. There are consequences. When we fall into sexual temptation, pain will follow. God says, I I will not be mocked. A man reaps, a person reaps what they sow. If we sow to please the sinful nature, we will reap destruction from that. And you say, well, that seems harsh. It's God's warning to us, calling to us. And today, if you're being tempted and, and, uh, or you are living in bondage to that, there is hope. There is a way out. That's what Christ came to give us, freedom. And he's set us free from our flesh so that we can live in freedom and victory over sin. But we've got to live running. And when the temptation comes, not to linger, but to flee. Then the uh, say, okay, what's it look like for us to flee today? And maybe today, just in a room this size, I'm sure someone is flirting with an affair. He made a covenant with, with uh, another person, the covenant of marriage. But you're, somebody is... You're being tempted to, to linger, develop a relationship. They're attractive to you for whatever reason. And that need flee that, flee that, flee that, run. It is the only way to go. Say, so, well, we're just friends. No, 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 run. Maybe you're in an affair today and it's never too late to do what's right. End it today. Say, so, I don't know how I'm going to end it. It's going to be confusing or uh, hurt people, whatever. End it. It's leading to one pay, place, and that's pain for, those, for you and those who matter most and ultimately our God. The, uh, I've heard guys say before, man, this girl's going through a hard time. She needs me. She, I'm just helping her through a hard time. No, God has put women in the body of Christ to help her through a hard time. That's their job. Your job is to stay faithful, stay true to your wife or true to God, sexual purity, It's not on us to help ladies through their hard times. Maybe you're living in bondage to pornography, and I know pornography is something that is just ripping through this uh, this generation, and it it is a stronghold in many a man's life, and and there's shame that comes with that, guilt that comes with that, but just know there is hope, and it's saying, I'm going to flee this thing. Say, well, I've tried and I've failed. Get up and try again. But do so with God's help, with others' help, and do whatever it takes. Was, uh, here, Tyson was sharing this week that, you know, there's a whole, you can buy dumb phones now. <laughs> and there's, you know, smartphones, but these are dumb phones that uh, don't have all the apps that can get us in trouble. And so maybe it's just like in that movie, uh, Wild, or uh, what was it, um, oh, I forget the name of it, but where, the yeah, Wild Hogs, where the dude just chucks his phone into the fountain. Chuck your phone and buy a dumb phone for a while. The, uh, Maybe it's deleting apps. Just delete it. Delete it. If it tempts you, here comes the beautiful woman and you're tempted to linger, de- delete it. Maybe it's um, installing covenant eyes on, on your, all your uh, technology. But doing what it takes. It may mean asking someone who knows you and loves you and that you trust to hold you accountable. Just say, hey, I, we're only as sick as our secrets when we bring our secrets, our sin into the light. That's when healing starts to happen. And so maybe it's getting with a brother or sister in Christ and just saying, can I just text you when I'm tempted? And that you'll be praying for me and and help me fight this fight. It may mean retraining your mind to think differently. 
lust is a, a way of thinking. The, the, sex, the sexual organ is our mind. And so it's retraining. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we know in Scripture. So this means thinking differently, guys, about a beautiful woman. So one of the, the most practical ways this has helped me or been... Um, early on, I took that passage from Job that says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a lady. And then I re- rethink how I look at a beautiful woman. I see a daughter or a sister or a mom. If you see every woman out there as a daughter or a sister or a mom, it, it helps you think about her with, with complete purity. And then ultimately thinking about it's his daughter. That I'm looking at. The uh, it's also may mean installing a, a daily prayer around temptation. I know I have one one of my daily prayers is is around that. Lord, help me fight this fight th- today. And for me, it's Romans six. Help me remember that I'm dead to sin, alive to you in Christ. Help me flee temptation. Put the word flee in there, and then help me keep my eyes on you, Jesus. Fix my eyes on you, which leads to the second move is uh, to focus on the goodness of God. Back to the text. Interesting, I had not seen this before, but I think God gives us a clue as to how we are to overcome temptation in verses 7 and 8 when he says, Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. And then he says, I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, wives, I gave you all of Israel, and if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. What's God doing here in this moment? What if David, when he's looking that night, temptation hits him, he sees Bathsheba. What if he had looked away from the forbidden fruit and lifted his eyes to all that God had given him? Where are you standing, David? You're in a king's palace. Who gave? I gave you that. And I gave you wives and I've given you lift your eyes from her and look at the kingdom I've given you all this and if this had been too little all you had to do is ask I love it that that one of the ways or I think what God is hinting to is the key to overcoming temptation is not by focusing on the temptation it's not by looking at Bathsheba and saying, okay, help me not pursue her, not pursue her. It's, he's saying, look at what I've given you. Look at my goodness. If I say today, in in the count of three, let's all not think about uh, pink elephants. One, two, three. How many of us won that battle? We're, We're all thinking about pink elephants. So God says, it's not focusing on not doing the temptation. It's focusing on the goodness of God is the way out. So when sexual temptation hits, I'm, my, my reflex is I'm fleeing this thing. It'll lead to a trail of tears. But my focus is, God, you have given me so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gratitude is the secret to overcoming temptation. And, and why? When you're in the midst of temptation, who becomes unreal? God does. Isn't it crazy how it's just like, We completely forget about him when we're tempted. But what does gratitude do for us? It makes him real again. It helps us see him, see reality. And so gratitude, thank you, Lord. Um, Focusing on what he's done for us, what he's given us, is the way out. Gratitude keeps us sane. I don't need that 
forbidden fruit when I have been given all this. And he gave us his son. We look to the cross. And today as we celebrate communion, just a reminder, he's given us the cross. And he said, how much will I not also, along with Jesus, give you all things? He is so good. And so the challenge for the day, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. How the mighty fall. And I, this is a hard text to work through, isn't it? And I think what makes it especially hard is in it we see our own story. We see our own moments that we have been unfaithful and we have all sinned against God. We deserve judgment. It creates again that longing for a good king, you know, or a good, a good leader. And it puts our eyes on Jesus and we do have a good king. I know in my heart this week, it has just filled me with gratitude and worship. Jesus came, son of David, one purpose, and that was to provide forgiveness for us and redeem us from our empty way of life, from slavery to sin. And every time he was tempted to lust, he overcame it. He was faithful. Every time he was tempted to abuse power, He overcame that temptation. He was faithful. And the reason for his faithfulness was to set us free from our bondage to our sin. This is our King. This is our Lord who we worship. And because of him, we can face our temptation with hope. I love it that God gives us his word, um, has preserved this text for us to to remind us that, that temptation is coming. But, but uh, here's the path out of it. It's to flee. And then it's to focus on his goodness. I love the, the picture again of Uriah in this text. When David was like, hey, just go home. He had a conviction that he stuck with. And I think there was a moment in his life at some point where he just decided, I'm going to stand by, the, by my king. I'm going to stand by my fellow soldiers. I'm not, I resolve to, to not go Enjoy the pleasures of of this life while they're suffering. But would today be a day that you would be willing to make a resolution with God's help, according to his word, his will, and just say, you know what, with God's help, I will flee when temptation comes my way, and I will focus on the goodness of God, and I'm going to let this be a habit. I'm going to start this habit in my own life, develop this way of thinking. And would you be willing today just to say, this is me and young people, as I see you guys out here, I'm thinking, man, if you set this early, huge impact on your life and I would beg you plead with you to honor God with your sexuality and to develop this temptations come and it will but to flee it and then to focus on the goodness of God also I just want to say a word I know um, some of us are processing failure in this area and um, you may be living under despair and the lie of the enemy that you can't get through this and I just want to say there is hope And um, I hope you feel that today, that it's through Christ. You don't know him, I I invite you to trust him. If you do know him, to rely on him and to follow him into into, uh, a life of purity. So if you would, join me in prayer. Just take a moment and I want to speak to those of you who, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, but today you're, John, I need help and 
and uh, how would I do this? What would this look like? I'll just walk you through a prayer quickly and invite you to pray after me, but it's simply saying, Lord, I, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've sinned against you, done wrong. And I believe that you died for me. You died in my place. And I trust you. I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. Save me. And if you prayed that prayer, I, you have become a new creation in Christ and begin a journey of, of uh, following him, a journey of joy and peace and love. But I uh, would love to talk with you what the next steps are. And for the rest of us, I just invite you to, to in your own heart, mind and heart, respond to this text and the truth we've covered in in your own prayer to the Lord right now. Father, we thank you for your grace through your word to us. I thank you for the grace you poured out on David and you're a man after your own heart and We know our lives have been impacted by him. Even today, you're using his life, even his failure, to help us. And I thank you for that. I thank you that he turned to you and tasted forgiveness, tasted joy again, tasted hope and and, uh, the walk with you. And I thank you that that's available for us as well, God. And just pray today that, that your word would have its effect in our hearts. Purify our hearts, Lord. Renew to us a a, a willing spirit, a right heart, a pure heart, undivided heart that wants to please you above all else. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.